0: are in Acts 11, and we're really dealing with the church at Antioch. This is a major church. Um, what we're doing is we're coming off the heels of Peter being at Cornelius's house, and you remember what happened there, and if you don't remember, uh, we'll be reading the, yes, 30 verses there, Bob, I know no, what you're saying. No,
1: I'm, not, <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. But...
0: Well, we're going to get through 18 verses like you wouldn't believe. Wow. Um, and in the commentaries I read I I feel pretty good about this and and, you know we don't try to skip things and we're not going to skip it but it's really a review of chapter 10 and I always wondered why is it put there again? There's a reason there's a reason why God does everything in these words and it's a real good reason and um, I, I think one of the biggest reasons is the fact that it's leading up to a transition God is going to the Gentiles in a full way here. And um, it is being opened up, as you might uh, see the gates being opened to um, people who were outside the realm of Judaism. And, of course, Christianity opens up to all. And so Peter has become convinced of that. He wasn't really ready to take all this in until God prepped him prepared him all this time. And we know that God has always intended Gentiles to be welcomed into the redeemed community. So Peter's critics, which are the Jews, uh, Jewish Christians, uh, are going to uh, probably um, give him a little bit of a hard time as he goes back to Jerusalem. As he had been at uh, Cornelius's house, and uh, that was uh, uh, quite the... Uh, Somebody there that God gave him to go to Caesarea and of course he had been in that area and then returned to Jerusalem and uh, they become convinced because Peter has quite the proof of evidence God himself had put the matter beyond dispute by bestowing the spirit of God on uh, that Gentile household that was filled with a lot of people and uh, they became believers right there on the spot. So the inclusion of the Gentiles really is to be the main theme that of Luke's writing and the rest of Acts. And with chapter 13, he will begin to chronicle Paul and his apostleship and missionary exploits. In chapter 11, we get the expansion of the church, namely north. It's going further north than it uh, had. And the evangelistic activity of missionaries are really happening. And some most of these people, we don't even know their names. We don't even have an idea who they are as um, we get this great story of this church at Antioch. Uh, the scene is there. It becomes the headquarters of the church. Antioch. The headquarters of the church. It's going to shift from Jerusalem. Of all places, going to a Gentile city, and the church is going to launch out mission work from Antioch. So, quite a uh, a chapter that we're into today. I said last week that chapter ten could be the most valuable chapter in the book of Acts. I didn't really say that. R.C. Sproul said that one, but uh, I think uh, it has um, a lot to say about that in the sense that uh, now it's expanding. And chapter 11 shows that, and the first 18 verses really just kind of goes over what we had looked at last week. Um, We will see that Paul figures in a little bit of this, but it's really Barnabas, who is the prominent one in the last half of chapter 11. The evangelization of the Gentiles has begun. And the key expression, I think a key expression that can introduce us tonight is, found in verse 18 of chapter 11. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also... Those are two words right there that should stick out. The Gentiles also... God has given them repentance that leads to life. He grants repentance. I like that verse, don't you? He grants faith... He grants repentance. Those are two key ingredients in salvation. And we see that God is the one who is in control of all things. He's sovereign in all of this, isn't He? And so that's a key phrase there. Also, the Gentiles also. And then in chapter 11, verse 20, you see another one that goes along with that. But some, uh, there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. The Greeks, Gentiles, same thing. The Greeks also. The Gentiles also. Not just the Jews. And so that stresses, I think, a a major point to us. And that's where this big shift is is going. Anyway, that should kind of set us up for uh, moving into chapter 11. And we'll probably just read the 18 verses um, pretty quickly. And... um, Kind of glean out the fine points and then move into verse 19 and start getting into this uh, church at Antioch. I find it very fascinating. Uh, some things I never really knew or even thought about and where that place was located and what God was doing in that Antioch. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the person of Jesus Christ as uh, we sing about him, as we uh, pray, as we read the word. As we share with each other, Christ is to be the very center, the very focal point. And Christ crucified, the cross. And we always want to go back to the cross and revisit that because that is where everything is launched as far as um, being a Christian and, and uh, to live in the person of Christ. And we thank you so much for that. You always keep reminding us about it. Christ crucified, help us to be able to um, glean some more truths from your word this uh, evening and so that we can be further taught and edified and that we can be people who are desiring to live for you and to put your word out to people who need to be living for you. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to start right at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also there we go again there's another verse Gentiles also had received the word of God oh don't you like that isn't that worth praising we could stay on that verse for a long time couldn't we and when Peter came up to Jerusalem those who were circumcised took issue with him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, And here's our chapter 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, came right down to me, and when I would fixed my gaze on it, was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, and the wild beasts, and the crawling creatures, and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered, a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. Well, of course, it's Peter. And everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as He gave to us, also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down, glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. you like that? So I think it's very important to be brought forth again what chapter 10 was about. It's a little bit shorter here, but in a nutshell, it gives us what happened because it's so key of what is happening, what's getting ready to happen. and moves us into this next section that starts in verse 19. So you get the news of Cornelius and it reaches Judea. And and we see in verse 1 that the guys there in Judea, the Jewish guys... Uh, they heard about this. And then they'd heard about Peter going into the house and eating with them. You don't do that. But God has a new way. So, um, they took issue with him. Verse 3 says, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. What a sin. No, no, no. What God has seen as... uh, unholy now has been cleansed and it's holy. It's now set apart. It's okay. And what he's really symbolizing in the food element of those animals is really what happens to um, the Gentiles and and the Jews. So he he began speaking and and, uh, proceeded to tell them the truth. So they had issues with Peter and Peter explains that. He tells them about the vision Tells about the command from the Lord, and how all of this—it's all prepared by God. How this is all set up, you know, and to be able to uh, get ready to move. So, uh, the Holy Spirit came. I don't know how much Peter really got to preach. Didn't really matter. The Holy Spirit comes in, and all of a sudden, it's like the the people now have become believers they're they're christians i mean they believed in god uh, some of those had cornelius had has his whole family there and other people probably that are tied to that and servants and, and uh they hear the word but uh holy spirit comes in interrupts um and they're baptized with the holy spirit and peter says boy i've seen this before <laughs> and uh of course it uh definitely showed him that god Uh, Was doing things that he couldn't uh, couldn't believe, and he says, "Who am I to stand in God's way?" (laughs) You know, he uh, he really was broken down in uh, what he had believed before, just like any other Jewish person. And now they uh, they're opened up to them, and so um, the Jews then started quieting down. And Peter just tells, "Hey, how can I stand in God's way?" And then you get that great passage, uh, they glorified God. And, you know, Christians are to be teachable. They're Jewish Christians. Peter tells them this is what, how God is doing things now. And uh, here we go. And they got humble too, didn't they? And that opens it up now for verse 19. 19 through 30. How about that, Bob? We are halfway through the chapter. <laughs> okay (laughs) radical this is a first what's going on here okay
2: Hey, Bob he's not going to make it all right
0: we'll see you guys are challenging me here okay now let's go ahead and read the next section so then you like that Mm -hmm. so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you got one group evangelizing Jews and hoping they'll become Christians, and now you got some of these men that now are speaking to the Gentiles or the Greeks about the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was with them. I like that. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. A lot of things going on up in Antioch. The news reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul. And notice, that's right on the heels of numbers, considerable numbers were brought to help. So he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. History's made. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up, began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And he took place in the reign of, this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Quite a section. As a church, when the groundwork is laid, begins to move out. Now, it's been moving out. And the reason it's been moving out is because where we really last left off, according to this verse 19, we had a little bit of an interruption. Mainly chapter 9, 10, uh, and, and and here we go in into 11 here. If we turn back to chapter eight, verse four, here is where Luke takes the story that was happening in Acts eight when you have Saul persecuting the church, and of course, we see Paul in chapter eleven evangelizing people to be brought into the church. What a thing that God did. Verse four says, "Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching. The word. So this has gone on. And you remember that they went on up the coast, they went north, they got out of Jerusalem. God said, from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now they're going out. What does he use for them to get further out? Persecution. And so eight four said that. We come into 11.19. It's like we had a little brief interlude there, but all the same time while you see the, the story of, of Saul becoming Paul and uh, then the Cornelius story, which were great, great sections. Here's what's going on though too. There are a lot of uh, Jewish people moving out and moving up north. They were scattered because of the persecution. We just read that in 8 that occurred in connection with Stephen. That's what got it all started. They made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Boy, the Spirit of God is doing this. Uh, They're moving out. They fire right on out of there. God blesses the work. He uses it for a reason, doesn't He? Uh, So, uh, in verse 19, they went to Phoenicia. Phoenicia is a coastal plain. It's on up right on through Palestine, right along through the Mediterranean, right at the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Two famous cities were there, Tyre and Sidon. Remember them? Great seaport uh, cities. Very important cities because they are port cities. Ah, you guys get it? Import. Import stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm just catching this as I go along. I I don't expect to laugh. I really don't. It's just... Thinking out loud. It is a freebie and it certainly will not be done again. Okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, if you go to these port cities, you could um, catch a ship and head west. And um, that's probably what some of them did. You could go to the island of Cyprus. You ever heard of Cyprus? Important little island there, and uh, of course it's mentioned here. They went up to Phoenicia, Tyre, Sidon, got on a ship, and probably could have gone west to Cyprus. Some of them didn't go west, they just kept going north. Okay, So if, when you go back to that chapter 8, verse 4, you got the, the, the stream of uh, persecution happening there. It started with uh, with Stephen. Uh, many of the disciples, they, they're fleeing, fleeing from Jerusalem. Uh, people are, are afraid that they'll get killed and their families don't want them in their homes anymore. They've lost their jobs. They've lost everything. I mean, this is real. It's really happening. This is, uh, this is the body of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters separated by a couple thousand years. We'll meet them one of these days. We don't know these guys and I think that would be fascinating to meet the first, the early days of the church people, wouldn't it? I'd love to be able... We have an eternity to talk with those people. Janice, I was talking with you the other day, and you said you couldn't. Was it you that I was talking to? You couldn't wait to be able to talk to somebody there and ask them a question. Was that you, Sunday? I don't even know what it was now. Anyway, hey, that was another one of those freebies that really didn't matter. <laughs> I think it is. I'm, I, it's a good guess, isn't it? Yeah, Eldon knows. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, Antioch. Antioch, really interesting city. I'm surprised I haven't really done a study on Antioch before. I never really have. Antioch, great. That's where the church got really, really being the headquarters. Really, no. Uh, It's about 15 miles from the mouth of the Euphrates River. Uh Ho hum. It was founded in about 300 BC. Okay, 300 years before Christ. It was a free city. It was under the Roman government in uh, 64 AD and uh, it finally came out with its own self-government. Okay? It's the capital of a province there known as Syria. And, of course, we hear about Syria today, don't we? So we, we know this, this area. But it became very famous and it grew like crazy. At this time, it was the third largest city in the world. You have Rome... You have Alexandria, and then you have Antioch. God uses big cities, and usually when Paul went to places, he would go to where there were synagogues, which meant where there would be cities. And then it, it's taken out from there. He would get in major areas, major cities, and then allow the people then to take that on out from there. Uh, you don't have so much time. So first... Rome, then Alexandria, then Antioch, and it's anywhere from uh, I have read a half million people to close to a million. That's a pretty large city. You can imagine size of St. Louis or Kansas City, something in that realm. It was famous for culture. matter of fact, uh, you hear about the culture, melting pot all about America, you know, the the culture that we have. And, of course, it's many-cultured, especially in our times now, isn't it? Well, it certainly was there. And it was famous for the business that it had. Such a large city. Roads crisscrossed Antioch. Major area. All the caravans of the east would be coming through there with all their trades. There were wharves. There were warehouses of Antioch. Cicero said it was the most learned men that would have their liberal arts studies there. So, education. With all this good... thing, it was a beautiful city. Just absolutely gorgeous. There was a major thoroughfare, like a huge boulevard that went from north to south. You know, when we were talking about Damascus, a street called Strait, and that's still there today, you know. Well, this place in Antioch was uh, just lined by trees and plants on both sides so we think of our best scenic places today and beautiful cities and parts of cities anyway and uh, Antioch would uh, not fall short of that it uh, had its own little glory Uh, the the thing is it was a very evil city it is a city of um, pagans and there was a writer from Rome called Juvenal almost sounds like juvenile but he said that the Euphrates River which represents them the, it was very close to the mouth of that the Euphrates River being one of the most known rivers in the world here's what he said he said it spilled its garbage into the Tiber River which is really meaning that Antioch corrupted Rome <laughs> that's what this Rome writer said Um, they were the ones that contributed to the evil things that happened in Rome rotten when you think of Rome and how rotten it was and corrupt all the sin that was there well this place was worse and of course we have to think of Corinth to Corinthian eyes was just absolutely immoral well that's what this is and I think it's really key to realize that a city that is from a pagan world is going to be evil as a matter of fact, if you look in Jerusalem, you're going to see a lot of evil things happen there too. Only garbed and clothed with religiousness. But what's inside? They just happen to show it outside and, and outwardly. And uh, Antioch was gross though, to put it, put it mildly. And um, the people lived for pleasure. And one writer said it was a perpetual festival of vice revolving around the baths, the brothels, The amphitheater, the circus, it was an evil place. And then all you have to do is just kind of look around at our cities and our areas here in our own nation. And, of course, when you think of the baths, what, you know, homosexuality was running amok, all sorts of immorality, the brothels. Um, A cosmopolitan city, though. Uh, uh, The population was composed, actually had... A lot of Jews there, I think, like 25,000. Orientals, people from China, were even known to live there. Greeks, Romans, they were all in, in this place. I think it's a great place for God to start a church. And you think, no! That sounds like the worst place. No. See, the church needs to be everywhere church needs to be out there. Boy, the place, it's culture, it's commerce, immoral worship. There was a goddess there by the name of Daphne that they worshipped or uh, took part of. Uh, I, I mean, the gospel comes in, into this city, and just explodes and just counters what this cultural city is about. And it moves from Jerusalem as the head to this place here. And it's the launching pad for Paul's missionary journeys. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth from here. Now this Daphne, she's supposed to be the lover of Apollo and they built this garden and it was so big, it was like 10 miles in circumference and it was populated by prostitutes And you went in, you indulged yourself in the garden, and prostitutes' activity was just crazy. The the immorality was sick. It was deadly. And that was worship. That's what they called worship in that city, as well as uh, Corinth, where they had the temple prostitutes and such. And uh, when they wanted to make it even bigger, they hired magicians and sorcerers, oh wow the the demonic aspect the charlatans the Babylonian uh, I guess you could say the astrologers that they had a vile place but you know God takes a rose sometimes and puts it amongst the most ugliest weeds that you'll ever see matter of fact you have a rose and guess what wants to grow around it but that rose is beautiful But he he designed this church plant here in Antioch. And he wants to reach a lot of people. Boy, did he ever. And that's why you keep saying over and over that. Um, Jerusalem will continue to uh, keep its endeavors, its concern up. Um, Of course, the respect for authority comes from there, and it has been the center. But it's, it's moving away from Jerusalem. And if you were a Jew at this time, it had to kind of stagger you. If you're a Jewish Christian, you're thinking, yeah, it's what, you know, what's the deal? I think it blows all the categories away that the center is not necessarily Jerusalem, but it seems to be Antioch, which is the third city of the Roman Empire. It has gone out. Jerusalem still plays a a key role, but you see that it doesn't stay in one place. And by the way, you can't put Christianity in one town, one city, one state, one country anyway, can you? It is universal. And that's the idea of what um, Catholicism really meant at first. It meant universal, the universal church. How can you have the the Roman, which centers in really a city or an area, right? the Roman universal church when it's all coming from one area? And today, really, the evangelical church, it doesn't have a city that it claims, does it? Not even Antioch, not Jerusalem. Okay, better keep moving because um, Bob's put me under the gun here trying to finish this out. Now, okay, you have Cyprus, you have Cyrene. Uh, Cyrene is part of uh, what would be present-day Libya there on the northern coast of Africa. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 you'll see the language of Cyrene mentioned one of the tongues that was spoken at Pentecost perhaps those um, these disciples who, whoever they are had come to faith maybe some of them had been in Jerusalem at that Pentecost day we don't know it doesn't say sometimes I like to put forth some thoughts wouldn't it have been interesting if they had taken it back and some were already believers at at that time and there were people starting to follow Christ even there we don't know it says uh, they were from Cyprus and Cyrene. Uh, some of these guys are the founder of the, the the church at Antioch as they run into people. Do you happen to know their names? Nope. Well, we know Barnabas comes up, but what it's saying here in uh, verse 20, but there were some of them, and the word is but, because now these guys are, are going to take it to the Hellenist uh, or the uh, the Greeks... Some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, he came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Other people are just speaking to Jews only. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. God's so right in everything, isn't He? <laughs> uh, nobody knows their names. And I'm sure they really didn't care. They don't, people really don't need to know. Otherwise, God would have put their names there. But they played a key role in the body of Christ. Um, we know the Jews are still hung up on a nationalistic view of salvation. So the early Jewish Christians, they were kind of playing it easy. I think I'll go to the synagogue and speak to Jews. <laughs> kind of afraid to go to those Gentiles. But there were some other guys that said, "Hey, we're supposed to take it to the world." So you have people out there already scattered. The Jewish people had been scattering. Jewish Christians. Cornelius incident happened, but a lot of these people that scattered probably hadn't even heard about the Cornelius incident. Uh, they had probably no idea of what happened. Um, but So they had nothing to go on as far as a Gentile evangelism. These people that are out there now. And God's Spirit, though, is the one that, that gets them going. So they'd, they'd find the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hellenist Jews and such, but to the Greeks. And it's interesting that it says in verse 20 Cyprus and Cyrene these guys going to the Greeks what are they doing? they're preaching the Lord Jesus now we've seen before where the Messiah had been preached the Christ but here this time it's the Lord Jesus I think it's fascinating if you're going to Gentiles they don't know anything about Messiah do they? They don't have the Old Testament. So you start with the Lord Jesus. I think it's, it's a great summary there. They preached Him as Savior. What's Jesus' name mean? Savior. And what? Lord. He's Lord and Savior. He's Lord of your life and He can save your life. Right. So um, I think that's, that's really key. Uh, I think it's a good biblical shorthand for the message of the Gospel because you focus on the person and the work of Christ. The prophet, the priest, the king. He's Lord. John Gill, who um, was the one that was the predecessor uh, at, um, in London before Spurgeon, and he's commenting on this preaching the Lord Jesus. He says that's the dignity of his person as the Son of God. What he did and suffered to obtain salvation for lost sinners, His resurrection from the dead, ascension to heaven, and intercession, the virtue of His blood for peace and pardon, of His sacrifice for atonement of sin, and of His righteousness for justification. Well said, Gil. I think what that's saying is that it's the whole counsel of God and it's focusing on the person and work of Christ. And those are the things that we preach to people. That's a great summary. Gospel proclamation that's about His deity. It's about His humanity. So you can say, I don't really know what to say. All well, I have to do is just start talking about Jesus. All the different things that, who He is and what He's about. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What a powerful thing. To be preaching Christ. And it's not really our ability to be able to coerce people to make a decision. It's not because we have the ability to do that. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. God will do the work. All we have to do is just tell what He has done and who He is, even what He's done with our own lives, and let God bless it from there, or whatever He is going to do. Aren't you glad that we don't have to coerce people into making decisions? It kind of takes the stress off it, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, it frees us to be able to share something, I think, in a sense of. I don't have to make this guy try to believe something. If God is going to come in and bless that word, he will uh, turn them around. Right.
2: And it saves you all that stuff that's off of telling you, you know, if you do this or that, or everybody has, you know, some kind of thing that they're trying to tell you to do. And it's really not that.
1: It's for you to bring the word, because the word's what changed their hearts, their life, their spirit.
0: Yeah, these guys didn't have um, evangelism 101 classes or anything. Not that that's wrong. You know? I mean, that's good. And, of course, any discipleship classes, evangelism is good. But this, this early church, it was easy for them to share Christ. Um, yeah, you might get kicked out of your home. <laughs> you might lose your job. But they knew what had happened to them. They knew about this Jesus they knew about the crucifixion; it was fresh in their minds. Some of them had been there; they had seen this, and some had just just heard about it. But boy, the power of the gospel to come in and change a life—and sometimes we, we just share with what's automatic; we can't help to do. That's all they did—they just shared with what who he was. Yeah, really good news. And you notice the hand of the Lord is there, and that's what it's about. As they preach the Lord Jesus, verse 21 says, "And the hand of the Lord was with them." And a large number who believed, turned to the Lord. Uh, hand of the Lord means a couple of things. The hand of the Lord means power. You go in the Old Testament in Exodus 14:31, you'll see that hand of the Lord there it's dealing with his power, but it also means blessing, power with blessing. the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord moved into Antioch with power that resulted in blessings. Power with blessing. I like that. So you, you look at the harvest. great number believed. But a lot of people um, are studying their thinking, studying on it. But sometimes immediately, these people are turning to the Lord. Turn to the Lord is the same idea of repentance, and and it's not just like if I were to stand here and facing you and then turn and look that way. That's a pretty good turn. It's a total turnaround, you know, a 360 degree thing. Um, but that's, of course, I think hand in hand with repentance. And that's the idea. As they turn to the Lord, turn from where they had been and all the way to the Lord. Now we get another part of this which is exciting because here's Barnabas coming on the scene. We've been introduced by to him already. Um, this is where this mission here that they've been having in Antioch. Barnabas didn't have anything to do with it. But now he's going to go up there because the church in Jerusalem says, you've got to go there and see what's going on. And so he does. It says in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Without internet, without radio, without TV, news gets back to Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. God knows exactly who needs to be there. They don't need your normal Jewish Christian because they're still battling with this Gentile thing. And they would probably try to bring in maybe a little bit of circumcision or rituals or something, you know. No, they send Barnabas. And this guy probably couldn't been there couldn't have been a better guy. And they keep hearing about Gentiles being saved, so this is how they handle it. Here's the guy to send to Antioch. And that's what it's all about. God matches the right person to the right job, as we look at this uh, early here, and the the serving that he's got in mind for them. So if you would have a legalistic, Pharisaic, structured Jew, um, call himself a Christian, and go up to Antioch, He'd blow the whole lid off the thing. I mean, destroy everything, wouldn't he? They've got to choose the right person. And I think with the Holy Spirit's leading, and later on, we know that he's going to get with Saul Paul, and then the mission work really happens. It just gets bigger and bigger. What's the character of Barnabas? What's his name mean?
1: Encouragement.
0: Son of Encouragement. That's his name. That's his character. He's warm. He's loving. He's he condescends. Uh, he he's he's a giving person. He's the kind of guy that needed to be there. He has right spiritual attitudes, and he certainly has a love. He wants to encourage people. He doesn't want to tear down anything. He he, he was good towards other people. He was full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's the best thing. He was led by God and he was led by the faith that He had given him. He believed God. So you, you see that that Barnabas um, he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Barnabas, what a man! And uh, he encouraged them to stay close to Christ. He says um, when he arrived, he witnessed it. He talked to him, He saw what was going on. You ever met somebody that you've never known before, obviously, but it takes about one minute to figure out, this guy's a Christian. Didn't say he's a Christian, but you know, without a doubt, he's a Christian. You've had that, right? Plenty of times and so he witnessed this he just saw this uh, who knows how many days but he's ex- he's just just elated and he sees how the grace of God has just ignited this place he noticed that it, it's the grace of God it's it's all about God getting the glory isn't it and he rejoiced and he began to encourage him he's not coming in there and saying okay you guys got a pretty good start, but here's how you ought to do this. Maybe you ought to start doing this kind of thing. You kind of got that messed up there and over here. Of uh, Boy, you know, guys, that's, that's just horrible. And, and we've, we've got to change this and we've got to do this. He doesn't do that. I
1: wouldn't eat that one. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. The, all the, he could have come in there with that food thing. We say, well, he should have just, why didn't God bring Peter up there? Well, he's doing something else. God says it's time to have Barnabas up there. Barnabas is the key man, and w- when you think about it, um, he is just elated. He's encouraged them, to, and that's what his name is. It's kind of a play on on his name, there, isn't it? He began to encourage them. Same word, and um, he wants them to remain true to the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. That's really what he's saying. You're true to the Lord.
1: Mm-hmm very
0: biblical and he's full of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah.
0: And he's going to give him truth. Truth with love, right? And, and with God's Spirit, and that faith. Of course, everybody has their own gifts and own personalities. And not that those other guys are all wrong. It's just that this was the perfect man to go to Antioch. And again, God hits a home run. He hits a home run every time he's up. Unlike... Cardinals <laughs> God always wins every element <laughs> that he starts it's just sometimes we don't see what he's doing and how he's doing it but um, full of the Holy Spirit so and he tells him to cling to the Lord I think that's one of the best things we can do to especially young Christians or, or an old Christian or a medium Christian <laughs> you know young men of the faith and whatever hey, keep Keep in the Lord. Keep in the Word. Stay faithful. Stay humble. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. <laughs> Stay in prayer. That's it. fellowship. exactly right. And uh, yeah, the the fellowship and prayer, I mean, that's so key because how can we grow without each other, right?
1: And uh, when
0: when that happens, you already know. Yeah. And it did happen pretty quick, did it? Mm -hmm. Um, Verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Uh, Right at the end of 24, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. This is a big city. A lot of people to draw from. But there are huge numbers. And granted, there has been a church, the the, the people have already been there, but they needed somebody of Barnabas' stature to teach them. He can't handle it. He needs more people. He, he could have said, I can do this myself. But this shows you that he's not one of pride. He says, I need to call on one of God's perfect chosen vessels to come here. And I know who it is. It's Saul. He had met him. He was the one person that went to Paul and accepted him in Jerusalem. Nobody else would accept him because they couldn't believe him. Because they figured that he might kill them. <laughs> They couldn't trust the fact that he was really a believer. But Barnabas knew. Barnabas knows exactly who... He's full of the Holy Spirit, isn't he? God directs him to go. And where does he have to go? He left for Tarsus. And by the way, the word there to look for Saul and when he had found him, the idea in the Greek there is very interesting. It wasn't that he just went up there and immediately he ran into him. Now, I want to tell you, Tarsus is a pretty big city. Or how about coming into Jeff City and just trying to find one of us without internet, without any yellow pages. Start looking for somebody. That means he had to really search him out. And I'm not even so sure, as I read commentaries and made a note of saying we don't even know if he was at Tarsus it makes sense but i will tell you through other verses uh paul was persecuted within this time and it seems like he could have been very well persecuted at tarsus don't want to put anything in there that's not there but um we will say wherever he was at and if he was at tarsus it was it was very difficult and, but he found him. And you say, well, why didn't God lead him right there like he had done back in uh, the with the Ethiopian eunuch? You know, when you had Philip mm-hmm. going to him. God just know, put him I right there at the time. Paul, I think
2: uh, Paul kind of always left the trail where he'd been. You could see the, you know, <laughs> People would know him. But he had
0: to do... Yeah. And the way this Greek is set up, he had to really do some uh, eye spy, you know.
1: Detective work.
0: Really be a detective to find out where he was at and get him and then bring him down to, uh, to Antioch. Uh, so anyway, he does find him. Um, and and uh, I tell you what, he got him there in that year. People were being saved. Um, got the right... Two men. Can you imagine having Barnabas and Paul as the pastors of the church? think a Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed that. And wouldn't it be great to be able to just get with a, a group of people that, who are hungry for the word? And they just Take it in. It's hard today in our country to do that. They're they're so they're not sensitive to God's word anymore, and uh, you know it's it's just like they're calloused. So
1: they it's had hard the first to grace to you conference for a
0: whole year. Yeah, <laughs> quite a conference. Yeah, I imagine people really coming to see <laughs> these guys. Well, the, and they probably had to have that'd be quite a name, you know, Barnabas from Jerusalem, and then knowing Paul's background, you know. Uh, what a team! And they're at Antioch. What a terrific thing it's happening! And I want to tell you what's happening. It's the teaching. It's what's the church about? What's well, about Christ? What, what do we what do we do about Christ? We teach Christ, preach Christ, preaching crucified. We we teach the whole council. It's to teach. When we say we, we're talking about the church. The church is to teach teach, teach. Now, there are different formats and there are different programs and such, but it's, they, every one of them should be focused on teaching, even in songs. Songs are designed to not only praise God, of all things, most important, but they also teach. Yes, and that's that, they were used much in the early church. It's teaching. They spend a year, teach, teach, teach. What do you do at church? At every level, in every way, you teach the Word of God. That's what it is. It's about the Word of God. It's about teaching. Uh, in Acts 6, we will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the Word and prayer. The Word of God and prayer. We end up tonight here, as we see here, um, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That was probably a very divisive term at that time because, or divisive, derisive, uh, term of derision. It was kind of a poking fun at these people who were so um, zealous, zealous. <laughs> zealous for Christ. And uh, they got a name, a nickname and wasn't probably started by christians from the best i can gather from the stories that have been handed down uh two other times you'll see christians named or, or co-christians in acts 26:28 you'll see it and in 1 peter 4:16 and uh it they definitely suggest that it was originally a, a kind of a term of ridicule but uh it was kind of like jesus was known as the nazarene who comes from nazareth right um, and, and later in Acts, Grippa said, Huh, you know, who persuades you to become a Christian? You know, you might persuade me to become a Christian." And Peter said, "If any of you suffer for being a Christian, <laughs> don't be ashamed." Anyway, whatever it's worth, people would ask, "Who are those people you just that just talk to us? Those fellows out there? Who, who who's giving all that?" Well, they they talk about this Jesus of Nazareth, whom they called the Christ and the Lord. But all of Antioch soon knew who Christians were. And a lot of them became believers. They spread it to the rest of the world. And you'll see that Christians before this were known as a lot of other things. uh, Disciples, believers. We can go through those, but... We've really gone over time. The last few verses here are really important because it shows that the Gentiles give to the Jews. They're going to make a collection of money and take it to Jerusalem. Gentiles and Jews?
1: This never happened.
0: It's no way it could ever happen. Those are the two peoples in the world, and they are separate as much as can be. And uh, the Jews didn't want any part of the Gentiles, and of course vice versa. Uh, was it there was, uh, was
1: it yeah. <laughs> was it so, uh, maybe this famine mm-hmm. is a blessing. This, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely,
0: that's right. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. That means from the high point where Jerusalem is, up in the air, <laughs> mountains, they go to Antioch. They're from Jerusalem. One of them named Agabus stood up, began to indicate by the Spirit. There was certainly be a great famine all over the world. That allows them to prepare, start getting things ready and such. This took place in the reign of Claudius. This is an actual person. Luke writes this down. Luke is an historian. Luke uses real people, real places. And that is validity to the Bible that we read because the geographical places, the names of leaders are in here. If you look what some of the, uh, the books that the Mormons write, you can't even find those those cities in any other kind of writings or anything else. You can't see a lot of the names that they have in their extra writings. Uh, we have nothing to support that. But in Scripture, we have uh, people like Josephus and then the, the Roman historians. And you can go back and see these same places. And now through um, archaeological discoveries, it just supports the fact even more because they find things that they said, ah, see, that didn't ever exist. We, we never found any information. And ever since the 1800s till now, in the last hundred years because of archaeology, we keep finding things and we say, oh, yes, that city did exist. Yes, that, that person from Babylon did exist. I think that's a good defense that we have, the Word of God. It just backs it up. and Luke wanted to make sure, and he was clear on everything as Dr. Luke records history here, um, he is right on with what what he brings out as in his travels. and uh, he cannot ever be proved wrong by the secular world, even though they try. Well what happens? You have this famine? Uh, it did happen, and it was uh, reported during Claudius's reign from forty one to fifty four. Uh, There were great famines in Israel. It's said, uh, Josephus reports that. No crops came through at all. They all failed. Terrible famines were recorded by uh, Chasidius, Josephus, Eusebius, Cassius. There were times of famine. That's historical. The prophecy was right. And once again, it shows that God was working through men to show that he is true and the people that he has is true. So there was a reason for that. And so what they did in verse 29, whatever the proportion that they had, whatever they could, as far as their means were concerned, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren. Don't you like that? Most of these are are Gentile Christians now. The brethren living in Judea who are Jewish Christians. Phenomenal. Boy, has it advanced from chapter 8 to chapter
1: 11.
0: Uh, as far as, well, we've already seen it in Jerusalem as they were selling uh, their goods and making people welcome there. But now it's it's gone to this out from the world. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders and uh, every man just maximized that gift and uh, they gave according to their means and proportion to what they had and supplied the rest of the needs there in Jerusalem and we find out that um, that was a key role and we see that Paul in his missionary journeys is making collections from the gentile churches and sending it to Jerusalem as Paul later went there and Barnabas went there and wow what a story this is our heritage our rich roots that we have. Have you said
1: anything to Siberia lately?
0: Um, it's been a little while. I think they could probably use a uh, some. Ridiculous. Yeah, it would be good. Really, I've been thinking about that too. See, uh, that's things like that kind of help you think about those kind of things and give out to the rest of the world to people you don't know. They didn't know the people in Jerusalem. All they knew is they were going to have to have. A uh, help, and whenever that famine came, right. they There's had it. There's
2: a couple of ministries so are talking about the ISIS, how they're destroying this the Christian, you know, yeah. they're killing Christians. And stuff. Something yeah. I know church needs to look into. There's a few uh, ministries I think yeah. we could trust. Um, I don't Focus on the Family would be one of them that I know would make sure if we did do anything for them that, that it would be done right. And getting it there. Yeah. yeah. But it is they're trying to get financial for all the Christians, the people that have fled from away from them. And they're stuck, like I wouldn't think, just how many days' walk they had to go, and were thousands of people in this whole camp trying to get away from ISIS from being killed. From That's right. And stuff. And really Quite a story and there. We've all over Christian radio, really asking for Christians to help out.
0: There was one little place that gave, it was a little bit of an oasis for them, and of course, sooner or later, the ISIS ISIS guys will be there doing that if they haven't already.
1: So.